Well, it's that time of the week again. Welcome back, friends, to another weekly edition of the Royal Ramble. I'm your host, Blaine the Brain, and today's episode will be a very special one, as later in the show, I pay tribute to one of the true legends of pro wrestling radio, and actually one of the key inspirations for my own podcast. No, he hasn't passed away. Thankfully, he's still with us, but we were all informed earlier this week that Dan the Mouth Lavransky will be leaving his boots in the ring after 25 years of yelling out terms like pencil neck geeks and brother through the radio. But first, let's talk a little wrestling. Impact held their big pay-per-view rebellion right here in Toronto last week. In fact, I think they did a full tour of shows around the province of Ontario in the last month. Opening the show was the Ultimate X match for the World Tag Team titles. It was the ABC of the Bullet Club, Chris Bay and Ace Austin, defending against the Motor City Machine Guns, who may be a couple of 20-year-olds and 40-year-old bodies, considering the way they move. Actually, maybe not even. They both still look great at 40. But anyway, I think it was the best match to open the show to get the crowd hot, but honestly, I kind of felt the match to be very underwhelming, considering who was in it. It was a very basic Ultimate X match, and I didn't feel like there was a lot of creativity or explosive sequences. I mean, it was good, but I've seen a lot better out of both teams. By far the best Ultimate X match I had ever seen and also involved the guns against Generation Me, who now compete as the Young Bucks. That said, there was some pretty good storytelling in this match. The guns spent most of it working over the arm of Ace Austin, and the announcers did a great job of explaining his inability to climb as a result. Ace may have not been able to climb, but he sure did fly, and hit a tremendous-looking Fosbury flop to the floor at one point. The basic finish had all four guys climbing toward the X, including Ace Austin. They kind of reminded me of American gladiators or acrobats up there, but they were kicking at each other and trying to knock their opponents off. Ace and I believe Shelly ended up on the canvas where Ace hit his move the fold, and then Bay wrestled the belts away from Saban to retain. I think was the right call as Bullet Club just won the title, so I didn't expect a change here. Next up was the six-man tag. I'm truly shocked that this match didn't get bumped to the countdown show. It was kind of a comedy match at times between Santino Morella, Dirty Dango, and Joe Hendry against the design represented by Callahan, Diener, and Khan. The whole match felt like one big angle to set up Callahan's eventual betrayal of the design, which is exactly what happened. He ended up nailing Diener with the baseball bat, opening the door for Santino to pull the rapid out of the hat in the form of a cobra, and then strike the final blow to put Diener away. I'm not quite sure I ever understood why Callahan would want to join the design in the first place, or why they would want him in, and even the explanation on impact this week wasn't the greatest, but at least this story has progressed. Tommy Dreamer and his team are interviewed in the next segment. Dreamer is noticeably in tears as he's struggling due to his mother's recent health issues, and he noted that he will be taking time off following this upcoming match. He basically says the war with Bully ends at Rebellion. One war that I'm hoping is over is the one between PCO and Eddie Edwards. That was the next match, and it was titled Last Rites, which is basically Impact's version of a casket match. You know, they've done this kind of match before, but I never thought this match type suited any previous competitor's character up until now. I think PCO is the perfect guy for it. And I spoke earlier about the guns moving around like 20-year-olds. This guy is in his 50s and still doing freaking cannonballs. PCO was busted open at one point, and then Eddie's wife Alicia came running out and corked him with a shovel. But then Eddie accidentally super-kicked Alicia, aiming for PCO, and PCO blasted him with a shovel and then chokeslammed Eddie into the casket to finally put him away. 
There was supposed to be a Trey Miguel interview, but they seemed to be having audio issues. It was very out of sync, so they just kind of went into the next segment, which was the three-way elimination match for the X Division title. It was Trey Miguel defending against Speedball Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham. This is the one that I was personally most looking forward to, and it did not disappoint. I think when all is said and done, Speedball may actually be favored to win the Best Wrestler of the Year award in 2023. Trey kind of just does the heel thing at the beginning and ducks out of the ring to let the other two fight it out while picking his spots. He tries to come back in with a springboard double dropkick, but both guys avoid him and he lands splat on the canvas. Gresham locks on a figure four on Speedball later in the match, but then Trey comes flying off the top rope with a Meteora on Gresham and eliminates him. And then goes right back to the figure four on Speedball, which the announcers noted was a brilliant move. The Impact announcers really don't get enough credit. I thought Ray Walt in particular was great on this show. Speedball eventually managed to escape the submission, but then later missed his Ultimo weapon move, doing further damage to his knees, and allowing Trey to put him away with an O'Connor roll with a hook of the tights to keep the title. The Hardcore War was up next, it was Team Bully against Team Dreamer, and unlike Hardcore Wars of the past, this one also included two female participants, which was kind of unique. Moose and Kazarian started things off for their teams, and the trash can almost immediately came into play. Brian Myers was out next, representing Team Bully, followed by Bupinder Gujar, and then the Cheese Grater was introduced into the match, right before Kenny King made his way out, wearing a trash can lid on his head. I guess he was trying to look like Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Killer Kelly was the first woman to enter the match on behalf of Team Dreamer. She brought a staple gun into play, and stapled some of her male counterparts where the sun doesn't shine. Masha Slamovich was out next, followed by Yuya Uemura. Bully Ray was the last one out for his team, and all the babyfaces were basically kind of waiting on him in the ring. He took enough time to get to ringside, which allowed the rest of his team to sneak attack the dumb babyfaces. The heels then turned their attention to Kelly, but then Dreamer finally made his way out. Bully tried using Kelly as a hostage, but she bit her way free, and Dreamer caned him. Kelly also drilled Masha with a Death Valley driver onto a chair. Then the good hands made their way out as if there weren't enough people in the match already. Kelly actually executed a slingshot to Skyler over the ropes and he was met on the way out by Kaz, who drilled him with a cutter through an outside table. Bully set up a ladder spot and then all the referees started to attack him and then assisted Dreamer. He first hit the Dreamer driver and then ascended the ladder and did the superfly splash on Bully for the final three count. I'm guessing this is the last we'll see of either Dreamer or Bully for a while. I think both have done a decent job of putting over some of the younger talent recently. Nick Aldis then appears and announces his return to Impact Wrestling, formerly known as Brutus Magnus. He joins the announcers on commentary for the world title match, which was decided between Steve Macklin and Kushida, as Josh Alexander had to vacate the title due to injury. This match was good, but I'm still not sold on Macklin. Kushida tried multiple times to apply the hoverboard lock, and Macklin actually countered at one point into a German suplex which would look pretty good. Macklin then tried a Death Valley driver, but Kushida rolled through it and countered into the hoverboard lock. Macklin later countered another hoverboard attempt into the KIA Brainbuster for the final three count, and Macklin is officially the Impact Heavyweight Champion. I'm not sure how the crowd would have reacted to this, so I think it was wise to not have this main event the show. Scott Demore then comes in to hand over the belt to Macklin, who proceeds to attack Demore from behind. This leads to Nick Aldis coming in, and Macklin backs away. So I guess that's the next program, possibly culminating at Slammiversary. 
In fact, considering how the other match went down, I'm thinking once Mickey James is healed up, we'll eventually get a mixed tag. And speaking of that other match, it was the main event of the show and was for the vacant knockouts title to be decided between Deanna Perrazzo and Jordan Grace. This was probably the second best match of the night next to the X Division 3-way, but I think they could have done a lot more to hype it up or at least talk about the fact that Grace has never beaten Perrazzo one-on-one and Perrazzo actually won her first title in Impact from Grace. Jordan displayed her power in the early going with a delayed vertical suplex. Deanna comes back later with a gringo killer and Jordan answers that with a grace driver but Deanna kicks out. The basic finishing sequence was Deanna powerbombing Jordan from the top rope and then hitting the Queen's Gambit to reclaim the title. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here considering that they now have a real life couple as men's and women's singles champions in Impact and both are heels so a lot of great stories to be told I'm sure. Speaking of stories... How does one even begin to describe Dan the Mouth Lavransky, a man that has been on the radio for 25 years yelling about professional wrestling? Well, I'm not sure if I can even do this any justice, but I'll give it a shot. So, I've been watching wrestling for most of my life, as I'm sure most of you guys have as well. I'm 39 this year and started watching when I was around 4 years old, maybe a little before that, so you can do the math. Up until I got to high school in the late 90s, I never really thought about the political aspect of the wrestling business or what went on behind the scenes. When I was a kid, I was often made fun of for liking wrestling. I think it was just me and one other friend at the time who was into it. People would dismiss it as fake fighting, and even when we would play wrestle out in the schoolyard, which you're not really supposed to do, passersby would often tease us and make homosexual references. Some of the comments were very hurtful, but we still enjoyed watching and didn't let any of this discourage us. When I got to high school, I noticed that pro wrestling had grown in popularity. It was in the late 90s, and what is now known as the Attitude Era was just starting to take off. So it actually became cool to be a wrestling fan, and I had a lot more friends who were into it, so my social life was a lot better back then. We would go to the events, we'd wear the t-shirts, we'd reference it any chance we got, and we'd go back and forth between each other's houses and watch classic wrestling tapes or even live episodes of Raw. I had a friend back in grade 9 or 10 who wasn't really into wrestling. He was more of a casual fan. But he told me about this wrestling radio show called Live Audio Wrestling. You see, he was an avid hockey fan and would often listen to the Fan 590 here in Toronto, so he would hear all these ads for The Law, which was broadcast on the same station at the time. So I gave it a listen, and honestly, I didn't know what to think at first. I think the first time I listened to the show was on a Saturday afternoon, and I didn't really enjoy it. I don't think Mouth was part of the show at the time. He was just a producer, I believe, but not an on-air talent. This would have been late 99. But then about a year later, I discovered that these guys were also doing pay-per-view recaps, so I decided to tune back in after every WWE or WCW pay-per-view. The internet wasn't as huge back then, and most people were still on dial-up, so you really had to avoid talking to people about wrestling until the next set of shows, which were Raw or Nitro. So I listened to the pay-per-view reviews at first, and by then, this would have been late 2000, Mouth had officially joined the on-air team along with Jeff Merrick. I was truly impressed by his overall knowledge and ability to intelligently discuss and describe pro wrestling storylines. Before then, I had never thought about the behind the scenes stuff. When I spoke with my friends about wrestling, it was usually all kayfabe, a term that I had also never heard before tuning into the law. We would often argue about who's better between Austin and Rock, throwing up NWO hand signs or DX crotch chops, or talk about Vince McMahon getting his comeuppance. 
but we would never talk about things like angles or gimmicks or legit injuries or shoots or anything like that. So tuning into the law was like my first real exposure to the pro wrestling business, and I suppose I have the mouth to thank for that. He was the voice of my childhood. Now keep in mind, I have a very short attention span. I was never a music guy. Sure, I like music, just like everybody else, but it wasn't really a passion of mine. I'd listen to it as something to wake up to, or in the car, or in the shower, but I would never set aside time in my day to actually listen to the radio or an album. I would listen to maybe Howard Stern or something when I was a teenager, but again, usually just to wake up to. So for live audio wrestling slash SNME being able to capture my attention for 23 years is pretty impressive, and once again, Mouth is mostly to blame for that. Unlike myself, he was passionate about music. He had a lot of true passions, including comics, he likes a lot of classic movies, NASCAR, and of course, wrestling. You could hear it in his voice. I love the way he would describe things as if you were actually watching them take place. His personality was and is just so captivating. I remember him arguing with some of the callers over the air about certain angles or stories, and you could tell he was always up for a good debate. In fact, he's so passionate about wrestling that he named a band after a famous wrestler. Once I got to college, I had a little more freedom in my schedule, and I discovered that in addition to doing the pay-per-view recaps, these guys actually had a weekly show, so I started listening more regularly. At that point, Jason Agnew had come on board as an on-air host as Jeff Merrick had stepped away, and John Pollock was producer, and of course Wei Ting as the call screener. I studied journalism in college as one of my career goals was to be a WWE announcer. I wanted to be the next Jim Ross. But listening to the law for all those years and learning some of the ins and outs of the wrestling business, I eventually came to the conclusion that that career choice was not for me. But I was still passionate about wrestling to the point that most of my college assignments were in some way connected to the pro wrestling industry. I had one assignment where I had to interview people who had covered a specific beat, and my friend Sean and I decided to cover pro wrestling. So one of my interview subjects for that assignment was none other than Dan Lavransky. I admit to being very nervous when I first met him. I'm very introverted, and his personality is almost the opposite of mine. But he did his best to calm my nerves, and when we got to talking, it was like talking wrestling with one of my friends. I remember himself and Mauro Ranallo doing the English dubs for Pro Wrestling Noah at Fight Network, and I was listening in. Listening to Mouth was kind of like listening to Jesse Ventura. I think that's the best comparison. Obviously, when it comes to pro wrestling commentary, there's nobody better than Ventura, in my opinion, but Mouth had that same kind of personality, and I find that their voice patterns are very similar. Since that first meeting back in 2007, Mouth and I have become very good friends. We were casual acquaintances, but I was interning at Fight Network at the time, and every time he would come by the office, we would chat about wrestling. Even when I used to write for Slam, I'd see him at some of the events I was covering, and we'd just talk about certain angles and matches. Years later, I got a job as a closed captioner. It was a part-time gig for me, as I also had a full-time day job. But I was trying to make some extra cash on the side. One day I came to work, and I saw Dan Lavransky sitting there, which was a huge shock to me. We worked for different captioning companies, but they had merged under new management. It was kind of a weird work setting. It was almost like a library where you would come in, do your work, and then leave. It was supposed to be very quiet, but when I saw Mouth, I couldn't help but engage with him about wrestling. We even got shushed a couple times. No, Chad Gable wasn't working there, but he might as well have been. I didn't get to talk to him all the time just because of the work environment, but usually when there weren't a lot of people there, we would often talk about wrestling. 
Mouth is the voice that I grew up with, and I guess the last remnant of live audio wrestling as I remember it that still works with SNME Radio. John and Wade do have their post-wrestling program, and I like listening to those guys too, but neither of them were anchors of the law. They had their own side programs, but they never led the broadcast. That's not a knock on either of them, because they are really good at entertaining, but Mouth was the voice of my generation as it relates to pro wrestling. It'll never quite be the same without him, but I hope that there are listeners out there who are close in age to myself back when I first started listening to The Law, who can now appreciate what the program has become. I'm still a patron and will continue to support SNME, but it's just not the show that I grew up with anymore, especially now with Mouth Gone. But definitely, I appreciate the efforts of everyone involved, and I will continue to listen and support all of you. I will be back next week to preview the WWE Backlash Premium Live event. Until then, it's ABC ya, brother.